You are listening to the Gateway Church in Spring Lake, Michigan. To learn more, visit us at thegatewaygh.com. It's interesting. I don't know how many of you realized, but I realized this week, that the last two Father's Days, Pastor Pete has nailed it, hit it out of the park, and has preached the last two Father's Day. Now, if you're here today hoping that Pastor Pete will be preaching for a third time in a row, you're going to be disappointed, and I am too, but uh, you get yours truly. But I was thinking about it, Pastor Pete, man, the responsibility of preaching on Father's Day. I'm not sure there's a day in the year that is, is harder to preach in some ways because, man, the responsibility, uh, the topic is just huge, right? And we cannot mess this up. For the dads that are here and the future dads and for the families that are represented, the, the importance of dads being dads and the fathers being fathers, I'm telling you, it, it cannot be underestimated. So we've been studying in the book of John, right? If you've been with us, you knew that. We've got chapter 20 and chapter 21 left. Today we're going to uh, capture chapter 20 and relate that to Father's Day. But let me give you a quick uh, view into July. You're not going to want to miss July. We are preaching a, we're, what we're calling a United Summer Series. It's going to be pastors from all over the lakeshore that are going to be preaching right here at the Gateway Church. It's a unified effort. It's going to be incredible. We'll talk more about that. Uh, but it's going to give you an opportunity to invite your guests to church uh, in, the, in the summer, and we want to make sure that's on your radar. Uh, but for this morning, we're going to be tackling John chapter 20, and then next week, 21. But in these two chapters, there are four interactions with Jesus that are really important for us to see. And each time when Jesus comes to someone or a group of persons, he is very personable. He is very straightforward. And what I love is that in these two chapters in particular, we see Jesus as being very warm and very compassionate. And sometimes we think of God as this big, awesome, untouchable God. And we may wonder, can God minister to me right where I am? And yeah, he loves the world, the Bible says, right? But does he know about the small details of my life? And I think these few interactions give us a picture into how Jesus cares about us. And the answer is absolutely yes. He loves you. He knows you. And he knows the big things and the little things in our lives. And in this case, we see that Jesus interacts with people right where he is. As soon as Jesus is resurrected, he pursues different individuals and he ministers to them. And what I love is that his love is different for each of them. It's not cookie cutter, like the same for everyone. It's not one size fits all, but he pulls close. And so with Mary Magdalene, he pulls close because she's full of sorrow. And we're going to see that momentarily. And then for the disciples, they were full of fear, and he pulls close to them. With Thomas, he pulls close because he's full of what? Doubt, right? And then Peter, which we're going to talk about next week in chapter 21, he's full of failure. How many have ever failed before, right? Right? Okay, about half of you. The other half? You're just lying, right? And so you just failed. Next week's message, we're going to talk about failing forward, talking about Peter, and uh, it's going to be incredible. But our goal this morning on Father's Day is to meld John chapter 20 
and relate it to dads. And it's really an easy parallel, easy application. And the first appearance of Jesus uh, just blows my mind that he pursues Mary Magdalene. And so turn with me to uh, John chapter 20. You know, in Scripture, there are lots of Marys, and uh, we have Mary, mother of Jesus. We have Mary, the sister of Lazarus. We have Mary, mother of James and Joseph. We've got a Mary this morning that's a guest with us. I met her as she was coming in. Uh, first service, second, uh, we, we had a few Marys with us. It's kind of a common name, but this Mary Magdalene, who is Mary Magdalene, and why is she famous in Scripture and a part of the gospel story? I just had you turn to John 20. Keep your finger there. Let's turn to Luke chapter 8, because in Luke, we kind of get a picture of who Mary Magdalene is in the first three verses. Let's look at it. It says, After this, Jesus traveled from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. What? Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons came out. What? Really? Mary Magdalene, the one that we kind of always talk about? She, seven demons were cast out of her. She was in a desperate state and demonized, and she was set free. And then she follows Jesus, right? She was set free. It goes on. It says these women were helping to support them out of their own means. Uh, not only Mary Magdalene, but uh, Joanna and uh, Susanna and other women were supporting Jesus along the way. And this not only happened right after uh, Mary Magdalene was, was set free, but she continued right to the end. Turn with me to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, uh, Jesus is on the cross, right? And it says in verse 40, some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and the younger of Joseph and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. They had been walking with Jesus day in and day out. And then it says many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. And it didn't stop just there. Mary Magdalene didn't leave the foot of Jesus, even when he's on the cross. Look at verse 47. It says, Mary Magdalene and the Mary, the mother of Joseph, uh, was, uh, saw where he was laid. She waited all the way till they put him in the tomb, rolled that stone. Mary Magdalene cared for Jesus very, very much. She followed him right to the cross, and she watched where Jesus was laid. Now, to John chapter 20. Let's look at that with that background. Verse 11 says this, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. At this moment in Mary's life, her world had been turned upside down. She was distraught. There was no one else with her at this moment, although there were two angels waiting in the tomb. We'll see that momentarily. But she was torn up. She was grief-stricken, so much so that she was about to have a conversation with uh, two angels as if it wasn't a conversation with angels, right? And something had happened in her mind that had gone so wrong. She's thinking this whole thing is a huge mistake. Let's look at it. She saw two angels in white seated with Jesus' body, where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? 
They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. And at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not recognize or realize that it was Jesus. You read that and you think, she had been with Jesus for three years probably, or close to it. How did she not recognize Jesus? Some commentators talk about that grief can blind us. And I don't know about you, but when, when you're grieving, certainly that can be the case. Others talked about that uh, you can't see beyond the trouble, and so she was distraught and just kind of that idea. Uh, but I believe that, uh, that because he was in a resurrected body, uh, he looked different, right? And there was something different about him. In fact, we are called, we will be risen, we will be uh, raised to life again, and we will have a resurrected body as well. And we will have the likeness but we're not going to look just like we are. And how many are thankful for that, right? And, uh, and you have to be spiritually aware to recognize a spiritual being. And certainly Jesus at that point was just that. He asked her, Jesus in verse uh, 15 said, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. This loving, affectionate term saying, look, teacher. Look, and she grabs him and says, I'm not going to let go. And he says, don't hold on to me for I have not ascended to the Father. Go instead and tell your brothers, my brothers, and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your father, to my God and to your God. And there's a, a lot there, but we're not going to focus on that. But listen, she, he, he comes, she, he, Jesus comes, and Mary, all that grief, all that sorrow, and God meets her. I was thinking about this, dads. What's the word of the Lord for you today? I was thinking about how many times when we're raising our kids, do our kids get distraught? Do they get teary-eyed, or sometimes even wailing, grief-stricken. Sometimes your kids feel all alone. Sometimes something's gone way wrong, and there's been mistakes. What do we do at those moments? Dad, we stand strong and we say, there's no crying in baseball, right? Or suck it up, or grow up, or go to your room until you stop crying, right? That's what we do? I hope not, right? See, the solution for sorrow, what we see here, is that Jesus, he became present. He showed up. And when I say he became present, he was there. That is a loaded term. He was available. He was participating. He was listening. And I'll tell you, dads, you cannot do that if you're caught up with yourself, if you're caught up in your sinful behavior, if you're overwhelmed with other things. Listen, our prayer, dads, if you have sorrow, grief, in your home, you need to be there. And you need to be there not only physically, but spiritually and emotionally. And I believe that kids, they desire that from their dads. They want to know that their dads are there. They want to know that dad and mom are there. You know, I was thinking of a story last fall. Our son Logan was 12, and he, him and his couple of buddies wanted to go into the woods that were connected to our neighborhood. And out in the woods, and then a little further, there's a bridge that goes over the water that kind of leads into Potawatomi um, Lake or uh, the bayou there. And he said, hey, can we go out to the, to the bridge? 
And I'm thinking, yeah, 12 years old, two of his buddies, they've been out there lots of times with us. Why not, right? Uh, this is a great idea. If I was in his shoes, I mean, how fun would that be, right? Just to go and be adventurous. And, uh, and so, so I say, yeah, go. I walk inside and Jessica said, you go too. <laughs> and, uh, but I didn't just go and like hang out with them. I kind of stood there at a distance, right? I kind of watched them go, and then I was uh, out. I was kind of incognito. I, you know, I, 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 it was really kind of fun. I didn't realize what Jessica was getting me into, but uh, it was really fun. And so I'm kind of following them there. I get all the way out there. They're out on the bridge. They're having a hoot, having a lot of fun. And I'm within earshot. I'm hearing what they're talking about, and I'm just smiling ear to ear as the dad kind of watching over the kids. They start coming back. I just kind of creep down. I've, I've never been a hunter before, but I know why some of you guys like hunting. I mean, I felt like a hunter, you know, not that I was going to kill them or anything like that, but, but they, walk, they walk by me. They didn't see me. They get a little ahead. They make a turn this way. I go the other way. I get all the way home, and I'm like, yep, they're safe. No problem. This last spring, we told his buddies and Logan together that I had done that, and they were not happy. I'm like, what in the world? But I am convinced, even though Logan said, why? You didn't need that, right? I believe that parents, that we should be there. We should be present, right? And maybe stalking our kids sometimes, right? The point is, be there, right? And kids, those of us that are kids, which is all of us, you know what? Sometimes if, you're, if your dad's not pursuing you, if your dad's not all that present, listen, go to him and reveal whatever the grief is. And I'm telling you, God can do a mighty thing. And that's exactly what Jesus modeled here. And dads, that is one of the things we can do. We can be present in our homes. Amen? Amen. The second appearance is to his disciples. Let's look at that in John chapter 20, verse 19. It says, On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, the Jewish leaders, Jesus came to them, stood among them, and said, Peace be with you. Now, I was reading this and studying this and understanding that the fear that they had of the Jews was really very irrational. They were, all these disciples had been at the cross. Did the Roman soldiers know where they had been meeting before? Yes. But they were, lit, they were meeting in this upper room, and they locked the doors as if locked doors would keep the Roman guards out if the Roman guards really wanted to be in, right? And so we got this, this situation with this irrational fear, and they're, they're together. And I was like, pause for a second. How many times when we raise our kids do our kids have irrational fears, right? Things that aren't reality, but they're still afraid. Let's just take a little poll. How many of you have ever been afraid of the dark? Anybody else? Anybody else other than me? Yeah, a lot of you, yeah. Um, how many of you have ever been afraid of demons? Anybody? <laughs> okay. Those are the two that I wanted to acknowledge. And, uh, and I was interested, like, this, this story came to my mind. When I was growing up, we were in the Christian family, and we were the type of family that we prayed a lot. And I heard my parents, you know, they, they prayed in tongues in our house, and they, and they, you know, we cast things out, you know, we, demons out and things like that. And uh, we, that was just kind of the, the, the way that we grew up. Well, because of that, there was kind of spiritually charged a little bit. Um, there was a time that I 
struggled and I was afraid of demons. And now there's nothing to be afraid of when it comes to demons. We know, I know now, and you should know, the Bible says, for greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, right? So it's an irrational fear. But it was kind of my growing up, and I struggled with that a little bit. But there was this time, I had to have been 16 because I'd moved to the basement at that point. And uh, my dad would get up to go uh, drive 45 miles each way to work, and he had to start work at 6. And so he was up early in the 4 o'clock hour. And I was up for some reason, I don't know why. And I thought, instead of just running upstairs, I would tiptoe upstairs and see if I could scare my dad. All right, I just thought it'd be fun, you know? And uh, so I, I'm quiet. I make my way all the way up to the, to the top stair. I look around the corner. My dad's back is to me. And right around the corner, I hadn't pre, this was not premeditated, but on the moment, the, you know, I just had this idea that if I tickled the keys that were lick, laying there, uh, I, that might scare my dad. And so I reached my hand around and I, like that. And nothing really happened. I'm like, huh. I did it a second time, right? And this time I hear my dad's chair kind of slide back. And I thought, well, he heard that. <laughs> and, I, and so, he, and I thought, well, I waited a second. I did it a third time. And he stood up, turned around, and he said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. <laughs> and he cast the demon right out of me. <laughs> And I'm like, what in the world? I mean, it scared the living daylights out of me. And I thought about it. My dad had the spiritual authority of that household, amen, right? He put the fear of God in me, and my dad, he modeled spiritual boldness in that, in that, in that instance. And so, anyway, I just wanted to share that. It was an irrational fear, and... Um, I mean, now we tease our kids and try to scare them too. And so it's just part of your growing up, all right? I guess that's the way it is. But for here, the disciples, they're afraid, right? It continues. It says, after he said this, peace be with you. Jesus showed him his hands and his sides. The disciples were overjoyed that they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Pause there for a moment. Jesus is speaking purpose into the disciples' lives. They're full of fear. They're locked behind the doors. And he says, look, this is your calling. This is what you're called to do. And then in verse 22, he even ups it again. He says he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit? It gives us power, gives us boldness, right? No fear. Dads, what's the word of the Lord for you today? Not only to be present, right? And Jesus showed up again with his disciples. He pursued his beloved. But I want you to know, we are called to speak life. And that's exactly what Jesus did. The solution for fear is to focus on purpose, right? To see your child's potential and to speak it, whether that's at two years old or five or 10 or 20 or 30 or 50-year-old, your son or daughter. Listen, we need to speak it, speak potential into their lives. That's what Jesus modeled. The third interaction, we got to keep on moving, is found uh, just after that with Thomas. Uh, and I'm excited about this one in particular. I think God really wants to minister. He did first service, I believe. It says, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. 
he missed church, right? And so he missed it. So the other disciples said, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where his nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas gives the other disciples an ultimatum. Just a quick side note, dads, how many times have your kids ever given you an ultimatum, right? When, when my kids do that, and neither of them are in the service right now, I just say, you know what, that is not going to go well for you. <laughs> and, uh, and it didn't go well for Thomas either. But what's interesting, it, you know, Thomas gets this bad rap that he's doubting Thomas. Listen, he was actually a great disciple. If back in John 11, verse 16, before the resurrection of Lazarus, Jesus uh, notes that Thomas was ready to die for his faith. He was bold. He was the go-to guy. He was full on. In John chapter 14, uh, we see, in fact, I want to turn there, John 14, verse 5, we see Thomas, he says this. He says to, to Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Some people read that and say, oh, doubting Thomas, we don't know the way, how, like kind of this pessimist, Eeyore type of character. I read it totally different. He wanted to be on board. And he's saying, look, we are ready. I just need to know the way. And in this case, in John chapter 20, he's saying, I just need a little proof. And until I see it, I'll never believe. And so what happens? Jesus comes to Thomas just like he did the other disciples, verse 26. A week later, the disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was there with him, though the doors were locked, locked again, irrational fear, right? Jesus came and stood among them, poof, he appeared, and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see in my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. At this point, Thomas, his world, like Mary and the disciples, their world had turned upside down. They were, their world had fallen apart. He was full of doubt. His worst fears that Jesus was seized, he had been crucified, and now he's in the tomb. Again, his world had fallen apart. And Jesus, he comes. What does he do? He's present. He pursues Thomas. And what does he say? He sees he says, Thomas, look at the scars. And then he speaks life. He tells them specifically. He says, stop doubting and believe and believe. You say, did it work for Thomas? Oh, yeah. Some of you know that Thomas ended up being the first missionary to India. And there is a remnant of believers in India underground that dates all the way back to Thomas. It did. And Thomas ended up giving his life took a spear in his side for, the, for his faith. He was full on. So dads, what's the word for you today in regards to this? Your kids, my kids, they're going to have some doubts. There's going to be some time along the way, lots of application, doubts about friends, doubts about school, doubts about sports or clubs, doubts about colleges or finances or marriage, uh, when that comes, that's ahead of me still, thank the Lord, um, having kids. The doubts, they don't stop, right? There are going to be times, but I want to focus on one doubt that can creep in to a family. 
And that's a crisis of faith, a doubt of what do I believe? Because in this case, what's happened to Thomas? He'd been following Jesus, but at this moment, he's not sure what he believes about Jesus. And that can happen in a lot of our families. It could happen to any of us. What do you do when your child has a crisis of faith? When they get sidetracked, the prodigal son or the prodigal daughter? Well, in Jesus' case, the solution to doubt was not to just let Thomas go and say, well, we lost Judas, now we lost Thomas, oh well. No, Jesus got involved. He busts through the locked doors, whatever that means in your life, think about it. He busts through, he's present, and then he shared his story. And I really like this. He said, look, look at my scars, look at my wounds. And dads, I just want to say, if your kids are disillusioned by the faith, or maybe you didn't serve the Lord all your time, but now you're doing your best, your life, your testimony today, your story, it matters. It matters more than you can imagine. And you need to live it. You need to be real. You need to be solid and to share your wounds. Jesus said, look, put your fingers where the nails were. Put your hand in my side, Thomas. And for us, the application is for each of us. We can share some of the things in an appropriate way, some of the hurts, some of the pain, some of the mistakes that we've made. And we can do it without shame because Jesus has saved us and he's given us new life. And I promise you, church, when you do this with love, it will be the best witness for your child. And I'm not talking about being perfect or pretending. In fact, I'd say just the opposite. You need to be authentic. But I believe that kids are saying, to, especially if they're drifted or away from the Lord, I believe kids are screaming, show me, tell me your story. And that's what Jesus did. He came and did that. Speak life. And I would say to be so bold in some circumstances as the Lord leads to just speak the truth that Jesus spoke to Thomas, to stop doubting and believe. I shared this first service. It wasn't in my notes, but it just kind of hit me and it's kind of in my heart again. When I was growing up, um, my parents, they had got married and they had a tape of their wedding ceremony. And uh, we would listen to that a few times growing up. And I remember at the end of this wedding ceremony, before they said, now I pronounce you man and wife, my dad stepped forward and somehow grabbed a microphone or something. And he said, I am declaring today, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Jeremiah, or not Jeremiah, uh, Joshua 24, 15. I did the same thing at my wedding. I, I thought, hey, that's so cool. And, uh, and so I, uh, do you remember that, mom and dad? And I was standing up, I, and I grabbed the microphone. I said, as for me and my household, we'll serve the Lord. And Jessica, you remember that? You were present, right? Thanks. <laughs> yep. I'm not just, believe, just making this up. Uh, that's what I'm saying. And I'll tell you, I've had to say just that in our whole household a few times. Listen, as for me in this household, we're going to serve the Lord. It's my resolution. It's what we're going to do. 
And I just want to challenge you. For some of you, that would be an appropriate thing to say. For others, may not. You need to listen to the Lord. But I'm telling you, what did Jesus model here in these three instances already? In his post-resurrection, he was present. He spoke potential and purpose into the disciples. And he shared his story with Thomas. And in every single circumstance there, it made all the difference. And they all believed. Now, I'd been reading this book called Hero, Being the Strong Father Your Children Need. It's really been a blessing uh, in this time uh, of our raising kids. And um, by Meg Meeker, Dr. Meg Meeker. And uh, I thought originally that I, the reason I got it, I said, oh man, I'm going to preach a, a sermon called Hero for Father's Day. And, uh, and then there was so much in John 19, or John 20, I was like, man, I don't even need this book. But uh, there were a couple things I wanted to just highlight and I hope it's a blessing to you. Um, one of the chapters starts off this. It says, You might wish, and this is talking to dads, that you were the world's wealthiest man, or the wisest, or the movie star, or a life-saving doctor, or the world's greatest pitcher, quarterback, or basketball player, or maybe even a secret agent. That sounds cool, right? Or the president of the United States. But whatever you wish, dads, it would be less than what God is. And yet, what name does God prefer above all others? Father. Let that sink in for a while. The creator of all, the source of all power and wisdom, has one great desire to be called Father. You share that name with God. All the dads here, you share that name with Him. And He expects you to be worthy of it. The million-dollar question for you then, my friend, is this. Are you approachable? Are you tender? Are you warm with your children as God means you to be? Does your kindness give them a sense of security? And, he goes, and she goes on. A little later that chapter, um, another uh, section that I put on the side, this is what Jesus does. And it, she goes on and says, it's important to be warm and loving and approachable, just like Jesus was here in John chapter 20 even if you don't feel that way. You can make it easier for your children to talk with them simply by lowering your voice, making eye contact, and actually listening to what they say. Skip the teasing and sarcasm, which creates distance rather than engagement, and treat their thoughts and feelings with respect. They want to trust you, so be worthy of their trust and set age-appropriate rules. Uh, including curfews and dress codes that underline how much you care about them and that you want them to be safe. And then finally, exhibit self-control. Dads, this is important. You might not think that your children will notice, but they do. They see your weakness, your temptation, your stumbles, but they also notice when you steer clear of temptation, when you refrain from getting angry, when you avoid that drink that makes you tipsy or unpredictable, or when you refuse to watch a movie or show that might be morally objectionable. The things you don't say or do, your self-restraint can even be more powerful than the things that you do. And again, I read that because it challenges me to be that present dad that my kids need. And I want to challenge each of us, no matter what our circumstances, that we would have that kind of character. Another highlight in this book, and it really relates to these stories uh, that we just have gone through. Meg Meeker says there are three questions your child needs for you to answer. So dads, number one is dad, how 
do you really feel about me? Think about Mary Magdalene in our story, the first instance. She's full of sorrow, full of grief, distraught beyond belief, and Jesus shows up. Meg Meeker says, number one, you got to show up every day and be fully present. That's exactly what Jesus did. Two, you need to say something. Say, I love you. And the timing is important. You don't want to wait or want your love to be conditional on success, like get, when, only when the kids get good grades or they're winning the game. You need to do it no matter what. Number three, you never shy away. It says all children will push their parents away from them at some point. You've probably experienced that. A two-year-old will stomp their feet and call you bad daddy, right? <laughs> a a six-year-old will slam his math book shut when you try to help him. And a 13-year-old might make a nasty face and try to dodge a hug, right? And then she says, never, ever take it personally. That really ministered to me. <laughs> uh, their behavior is not about you. It's about them. When a child feels insecure, out of control, or self-conscious, they can get snarky now little little all the kids that are 18 and under uh, i want you to hear all of the adults uh, because i want you to be honest adults how many adults here have ever got snarky before yep yep all right so you're not alone kids but but we do want to help them through that so you never shy away the second question meg meeker says every dad needs to say to their kids or that needs to answer is dad not only what do you feel about me, but what do you believe about me? And think about it with the story of the disciples, right? They're full of fear. Jesus steps in and he speaks purpose and potential into their lives, right? It's incredible. And so uh, it, Meg Meeker goes on and says in this chapter, you need to communicate simple truths. You need to praise their character, not just the stuff that they do. And then let them catch you talking about them. And then number four under this section, take advantage of their failures, which we're going to talk about next week with Peter falling away and uh, his failures. But again, what do you believe about me? And your kids, my kids, they need to know what you believe. They just they need you to believe the best in them. The third question is this. Dad, what are your hopes for me? Again, with Thomas, he, had, he was full of doubt, the third story. He's full of doubt, wondering where he's going, what's next. And Thomas gets an appearance from Jesus all for him, and it makes all the difference in the world. He's struggling in his faith, and it, what was Jesus' hope for him? That he would believe, right? He said, stop or quit doubting and believe. I love that. Meg Meeker goes on and says at the end of that little section, we need to talk about their futures in a specific way. We need to speak into the lives of our kids. And number two, we need to dream with them. See, being a dad is a big deal. It's a huge responsibility. And one of the most important things a dad will ever do is to model and to lead their kids to the Lord. To the point where we can say, dads, to our children, what do you believe? And I want to ask you this morning, as a pastor of the Gateway Church here, 
What do you believe? For some of you, you need to hear that exact phrase, stop doubting and believe, and you need to put your faith in God. In verse 29 of, of our chapter that we're studying, Jesus goes on to tell him, because you have seen me, you have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. See, we're, we don't see Jesus face to face necessarily, but we do know that he's there. And for some though, sorrow has kind of crept in, circumstances where you've questioned, is God even there? And if sorrow has creeped in and sidetracked your faith, he's calling you back. If it's, faith, if it's fear, maybe fear of what people will think if you stood up and kind of said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live for Christ, or fear in some other way, if fear has creeped in and sidetracked your faith, I want to encourage you, Jesus is calling you. If it's doubts, maybe your walk with Christ has been disillusioned or you've been burned in some way, you've been sidetracked, again, there's this crisis in your faith. It might have been days or weeks or months that you've been without Jesus. I believe Jesus, if you're standing right here today, he would say something very personal to you. He would say, I have something special for you. And then he would say, believe. He would say, believe. I believe that. I believe today is the day of salvation. Believe and have life in Jesus. First service, one individual kind of surrendered and said, you know what, I'm coming back to the Lord. And got tears in his face and, and uh, God was doing a good work. And this morning, I'm curious, who here, second service, is ready to say yes to Jesus? Yes. Yeah. Who else? Just raise your hand. Just be bold. We, we want to celebrate with you. You're saying, yes, I want, I've been sidetracked, I've been away, or I, I, maybe you never believed. Who's ready this morning? Who else? Say, man, that's where I am today. If I'm honest, I'm away from Jesus for some reason. Who else? Am I missing someone else? Yes. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, a couple more. Thank you. Thanks, Michelle. <laughs> Who else? See, the, the, the gospel stories are pretty simple. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We all make mistakes. And the reality is Satan, he comes in and fills us with sorrow, fills us with fear, fills us with doubts. But Jesus busts through all that. And he's calling you. Who else? Other than these three ladies. Yeah, thanks. Yes. God bless you. Praise God. I'm coming back. This is my day. I want to pray a miracle prayer. It's not the words that save you. Chances are you've prayed a similar prayer before, but listen, when you come back to the Lord, there's no shame. Would you pray this? And congregation, pray with me. Say, Dear Lord, please come into my life. Take away my sin and make me clean. I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong but I'm putting my faith in you. I trust you. Help me, Jesus, to live for you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And we rejoice with the angels in heaven. Amen. Praise God. Amen. God is so good. God is so good. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. See, Jesus has been pursuing you. He loves you. 
And he, uh, there's two more things I want to do before we, before we end. I want all the dads in the room to stand up. If you're a dad, I want you just to stand right where you are. And I want you just to kind of feel the weight of the responsibility that you have as a father. God wanted to be called father. And, he, and it, I love what Meg Meeker says. And let me just read it again uh, to get it right. She, it says, you share that name with God. He expects you to be worthy of it. That is a huge weight, isn't it? But our challenge is to take this story like this in John 20 and say, God, help me to be that kind of man, right? To be loving, to be caring, to break through, to share the story, right? All those things. But guys, we cannot do this on our own. We need the Holy Spirit. And just like Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I want to just pray for the dads that are here that God would do just that. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray for these dads. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just grip each of their hearts according to your glory and honor. Do something in our lives, God, me included, God, where you have softened us. You've made us tender. You've allowed us to see into our families' lives. Help us to lead well. And God, I pray that you would safeguard us, God, that we would be able to be present. And God, when I say being present, Lord, that it, it's about being uh, denying ourselves, saying no to sin. God, it's about standing up for righteousness, uh, leaving work at work and being home, not only physically, but spiritually and emotionally. God, I pray that you would help every one of these dads according to your glory and to your honor. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's give our dads a hand. Thank the Lord for our dads. You can be seated. You can be seated. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And one more thing. Just feel like this could be really a blessing. Last week I mentioned that I really felt like the word of the Lord was that there was going to be supernatural breakthrough on our groundbreaking Sunday. And I believe that is trickling through, it's carrying through in this season. And I'm going to ask uh, in the regards to families that have prodigal sons and daughters, I'm going to ask that you would just be so bold. I want to pray for you. Would you stand? If you have a son or a daughter that has a crisis in the faith, and we're going to pray for you. We're going to ask God just to break through this season, that there would be a supernatural breakthrough. And this, there's going to be a difference when you walk out of here today. And I'm going to challenge you, like Jesus did with Thomas, to reveal your story, to talk about the good, the bad, be real, be present, and, uh, and, and speak life into your kids. And let me just pray. Look at this. I just want you to know, my heart breaks for you like your heart breaks for your kids. God, I pray in each and every circumstance here where there's a son or a daughter that has walked away, that has been sidetracked for some reason, it doesn't even really matter why, but God, we know that you have never given up. And God, I pray for each of these parents, moms and dads, that they wouldn't give up, God. 
And we bring our kids before you to your throne of grace. We're asking that you would just reveal yourself, break through the locked doors, the walls that have been put up, and God, do something supernatural in these lives. Do something in these families, God. Lord, that there would be supernatural breakthrough, that you do a mighty, mighty work. And God, we're asking this for your glory, for your honor, for every son, for every daughter. We claim them in Jesus' name. And we declare, for as for me and our, my house, we will serve the Lord. Come on, just say that in your own way. And we're going to serve the Lord by God's grace. Lord, help us in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. And would everybody stand at this point? Hallelujah. Just pray a prayer benediction. You're not going to want to miss next week. We're going to talk about failures and talk about uh, Peter and his failure and how God restored him and how God wants to restore us and keep us moving on. And just like a great father, Jesus comes to Peter as well. Um, you're not going to want to miss that. But when I pray, after I say amen, we're going to turn, we're going to greet one another, and I just want to encourage you. A friend of mine, and I didn't say this first service, but I got one minute left on the clock, so I'll take it. And uh, he said, uh, he said, you know, when he dismisses his church, he says the first minute he encourages his congregation to find someone that they don't know. Then the next minute, the second minute, to find someone that they're just getting to know. And then reserve the third through the fifth minute to hang out. So five minutes just to hang for those that you already love and then go and give them a hug. And I thought, man, that's cool. And uh, I don't know if we're going to make that a thing, but, but for today, take the first minute, find someone you don't know. Second minute, don't just hustle off, but find someone that you maybe met before. Introduce yourself again because Lord knows we're not good with names, right? And then find someone that you love and give them a hug. And let's do that. But Lord, we just pray this, Lord, that you just seal this time. God, go before us, behind us, and all around us for your glory, for your honor. And we thank you for this. Bring us back together again in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Go in the grace of God after you've met somebody you don't know or someone you're getting to know or someone you love. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegatewaygh.com.